This is an RNZ podcast. Major parties are neck and neck in the race to next year's election, according to the latest One News Cantar public poll. The results come after National Sam Uffendale saga, Labour's issues with Gaurav Sharma and the Prime Minister's trips to London and New York. That was TVNZ's John Campbell on One News last Tuesday, noting the possibility of a bounce for the Prime Minister in their first political poll for a couple of months, thanks to her exposure on the world stage lately. She's been seen in the news alongside other Prime Ministers and Presidents, mourning the Queen, talking free trade in London and big tech in New York. Jacinda Ardern touches down at the United Nations and is taking on the big tech companies again. And that was a reference to the meetings in New York on the Christchurch call, the international push backed by Jacinda Ardern to push back against online extremism. After a summit with French President Emmanuel Macron, the pair launched an initiative with Microsoft and Twitter to research social media's secret algorithms. I think it's very hard to, for governments to say that they're going to step in and regulate something that is so poorly understood. And while the Christchurch call was launched in Paris two years ago with a hiss and a roar, the latest developments last week didn't make many headlines at all. As NewsHub's Amelia Wade went on to report from New York last week, Meta, the owner of Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp, and Google, which owns YouTube, and TikTok's Chinese parent company ByteDance were all not taking part in that research into the impact of the social media algorithms. So can you actually expect to have any real impact with this if they're not involved? All these players are more and more aware that the current system is no more sustainable. Now, in response to some international angst about the impact of algorithms and transparency lately, Facebook's parent company Meta arranged an online briefing for some journalists this week with Meta's policy and strategy executive Andy O'Connell, who was visiting New Zealand. Now, this was just for background to tell us how Meta moderates and monitors content already and the initiatives they support globally and here in New Zealand to that end, and also how the company submits itself to scrutiny, such as having its community standards enforced reporting audited externally. MediaWatch also asked for an on-the-record interview with Andy O'Connell about all of this, but no luck so far. So with all this going on, does the Christchurch call and the call to crack open the influential algorithms stand any chance of actually making social media safer for society? One platform that has engaged with the Christchurch call is Twitter. Its boss Jack Dorsey personally played a part in the early stages in 2020, but his critics say that the platform hasn't done much to live up to the call's commitments since then. And watching on with interest is a former colleague of Dorsey's, Evan Henshaw-Plath. Now, he's a social media innovator who helped create a small social platform in the mid-2000s called Odeo, which later morphed into Twitter in 2006. Well, the rest, as they say, is history. Twitter went on to corner the market in microblogging, and Evan Henshaw-Plath is living in Wellington as an Edmund Hillary Fellow, working on social media platforms that can't grow to the scale of Twitter, Facebook or TikTok, or do the kind of harm that the huge global platforms are now in the gun for. I, I think that we need to be thinking about what it, what is and isn't appropriate behaviour on social media. In particular, I think we need to be thinking about the ways in which algorithms and paths towards engagement drive people to different things. So it is fine if there, are, there is some Nazi propaganda on the Internet. If it's not in a place that can easily be an on-ramp to recruit people to, to see that. So if you want to know about what 
the Nazis thought in the 1930s and 40s, it's fine to read about that. If you want to see a whole bunch of disinformation that's about recruiting people, where you take them from, you know, one video to the next video to the next video to the next video to all of a sudden they're watching things that are white supremacist. And this is what the algorithm can do. This is what the algorithm does. And so it's not about controlling exactly what information is available. It's about understanding the way engagement works and how people are going through it. And government regulation is tricky because these things move really fast. They're really confusing. It's complicated. It's easy to get the regulation wrong. But the regulation is the only thing that's going to change the behavior of these corporations. And those algorithms are private property, right? They're the IP of these, some of the biggest companies in the world. And the algorithms are, are private property. They're considered trade secrets. Um, but that doesn't have to be that way. There's a whole academic research area into algorithmic transparency. And there's a whole bunch of, of movements, including something called the Algorithmic Justice League, where people are saying, look, we need to be able to see what these algorithms say. We need to know how they're designed, and we need to be able to compare them. Planetary, it's, it's not a Marvel movie, then. Yes. No, okay. <laughs> and in Planetary, the app, you can actually go and choose what algorithms you want to use. If you're a programmer, you could actually see how we implement the algorithms. And if you want a different one to exist, we invite you to contribute to that. And that, I think, is about empowering users so they get algorithms what they want and not what the platforms want. So this latest initiative for the Christchurch Callers Research Project, backed by uh, New Zealand, Twitter, Microsoft, have backed it, investigating the algorithms. Is this, is this going to help? Is this what, what it... There's, you know, Facebook has put a bunch of funding, ironically enough, into privacy research. Like, we're using in Planetary a bunch of research that's been funded through Oxford by Facebook. What we need to do is be realize that it's not a just do the research. It's not just know what the right thing to do is. We need to set up an environment where these companies have the economic incentives to do better. But at the moment, fascinatingly, uh, we have TikTok, this huge, fast-growing platform. We read and hear that Facebook and Instagram are being rejigged with AI in order to compete with it, to be more like it. Just as far as from a news media perspective, kind of interesting because, you know, a few years back, news media were told, you know, pivot to video is the thing because of the popularity of Facebook and turned out to be not a very good move for news media to do that. Now, Facebook is saying, actually, it's this short form video, this giant dump of video that TikTok serves up to people that is the thing people want and that they're trying to uh, piggyback off? I don't know if you're aware of this, but Facebook actually lied about all the viewer numbers that they were providing to these media organizations. They said, go to video because they saw more engagement numbers and people spending more time on Facebook. And they actually produced fake engagement numbers and fake viewership numbers to all these media companies and got them to switch to doing video mm -hmm. when it wasn't even the thing that was, and they knew it wasn't the thing that was engaging with it. And so now they're saying video, this passive consumption where you get this feed. And this is the thing I was talking about where they like, it doesn't make people happier. It doesn't make them more satisfied. It doesn't help your mental health to be given this constant stream of content. It's fun. I watch it, you know, but it's also problematic. Mm, for sure. So when Mark Zuckerberg announced uh, the metaverse unveiled it. He kind of mocked a bit for the way 
that it was done. Uh, it looked very cartoonish. However... No one know, has legs. No, right. <laughs> well, you know, the Avatar business and all of that. But um, it looked a bit trivial. Uh, and uh, the, the way it was done was certainly, um, you know, made him a target for mockery. But, you know, companies are taking this seriously, businesses. But do you think, in the end, people really do want to be even more immersed in their digital social networks than they already are? So I think Facebook's metaverse is unlikely to be successful. But if you look at where young people are spending their time, it's in all these immersive video game worlds. <clears throat> There's a tremendous amount of fantasy worlds. And, it, and it's not... It's actually better than a previous generation of video games because it is intensely social. You are playing with other people, even if you're running around with virtual guns trying to shoot them. Mm -hmm. You're still in a team. You're still talking to each other. And so the metaverse exists today, but it's not the thing Facebook created. It's the thing that the video game world created. I don't, like, what we don't see, and we may not see for quite a long time, is that that's the place you go for a work meeting. Right. That's the place you go stuff. Maybe with augmented reality, we're going to see more of that type stuff. But if if the experience is more immersive, more intense, if those same powerful algorithms that drive people towards content that might not be good for them in all sorts of ways, uh, that combined with the intensity of more immersive experiences, is that a combination to worry about? We We always worry about emerging media. You can find... Uh, essays talking about how dangerous the novel is <laughs> because the printed novel is getting people, keeping them inside, and they're no longer being able to concentrate on going outside and talking to people because they're distracted by reading the novel. And you saw the same thing with the telephone and the radio and television and newspapers and web and email and social media. We always have these concerns. Yeah. We always have these concerns as society starts to transform. And what we have now is fundamentally different. Hitler and Stalin could, and Mussolini couldn't come to power without the radio. We couldn't have that kind of uni unified totalitarian authoritarian state without the radio. So what we get with metaverse, augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, immersive worlds is going to empower different cultural, social, political, and economic forms and, by definition, transform society. But we don't know where it's going to transform. But if you have like leaders like Duterte in the Philippines, for example, who mobilized a whole lot of, you know, trolls, digital operatives, you know, to, to give a hard time to opponents, as well as in real life, to cement his power, having even more powerful digital tools that prove popular uh, with people, that is something to that is something that we need to be wary of. Sure, yeah. it's absolutely. Bolsonaro had a whole in Brazil had a whole network of people who would uh, take these fake memes and fake stories and spread them through a network of WhatsApp groups. But it's important to remember that, for example, ten years ago. Trans people were all in the closet. What they were able to do is see themselves represented in social media, where the media before that 
never gave them a voice and never let them represent themselves. And then once they saw each other represented, were able to come out of the closet. You know, we see these authoritarian governments, we see what's going on, what Trump wants to do, we see what goes on in Hungary, what goes in the Philippines and Brazil, and those are all problems. The, the What makes a viable democratic society is going to shift, and it's important to defend that. And it's important to realize that the space of contestation is in these digital spaces. What we build in social media spaces, what we go to online, is a digital reflection of the cities we live in. And this is what I talked about six years ago when I was here. It was like, they're neighborhoods. You go to different communities online and you see different kinds of people with different kinds of norms and you can do different things based on what the app does in those spaces. What we need to do is look at which spaces and which activities encourage this kind of authoritarian strong leader behavior. Encourage this kind of strong in-group, out-group behavior that causes kinds of hate. Uh, recruits, uh, especially sort of alienated young men who don't feel like they have community. I think we're in a moment where we have the opportunity to design these systems again and build these systems again. And so to me, it's a very exciting moment when we see something like Facebook finally dying and Facebook is dying, Instagram, WhatsApp, Oculus are surviving, that when these dominant platforms go away, then there's space for new things to be created. And we can decide what those things are and what the values behind them are and what kind of society we want them to uh, help us bring forward. And so, that to me is the exciting moment is we're, we're able to do that. And, you know, I feel incredibly lucky that I was able to move here to Aotearoa, New Zealand and but do the you, work here. If you want to have an influence on the way social media is developing and it's headquartered in Silicon Valley and other places in the United States, isn't it a pretty weird place to try and do it from Wellington or just does it not matter in the digital era? We, up until the start of the pandemic, I had an office in San Francisco. Um, I shared it with Signal, which is the, the encrypted private messaging thing. Uh, and uh, we all gave up our offices. The way and the weight at which San Francisco was the center of this has dissipated because of the pandemic, and it's not come back. So no, no drama being in Wellington? No, no one has any idea. Other than, other than the, the, they notice the weird time zones of when I'm available to do calls online. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You can't change the clock. Yeah. That was Evan Henshaw-Plath, former founder of the social network Odeo, which was a forerunner of Twitter, and he's a former colleague of Twitter's current boss, Jack Dorsey. Now, Evan's also the CEO of tech platform Planetary, which is working to decentralise social media and break down the epic scale and power of some of the biggest platforms. And he's doing that from right here in New Zealand, where he's now an Edmund Hillary Fellow. And on Media Watch next weekend, we'll hear more from him about that.